Hello, and welcome to the Punkling Podcast. I'm Jared, and I'm here with my co-host... Uh, Rolando. Uh, we're starting this podcast as just an open forum to discuss anything nerdy or just relevant at the time. Games, news, trading cards, we'll probably end up talking about it here. Uh, today, we're looking to have a bit of a discussion about world building in Dungeons and Dragons, specifically the perspectives of two forever DMs and how we handle, you know, our the worlds we've come up with, the worlds we've created, uh, and how players interact with them, and you know, just how we approach the different tons of different situations that come up. Uh, so, if you want a little bit of insight into what your uh, dungeon master is thinking and why they keep on face palming when you decide to do something, this is gonna hopefully shed a little light on that. So. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so to often. start it happens a little too often um actually to start us off we can uh, talk about those facepalm moments uh so i dm for two separate games uh one is a game that i dm for just my uh my me and my wife um we you know talk about uh you know we not talk about wow we uh play through we have our world we have this all all this established stuff and then I have a game that I run with a couple of my friends, and it's, I feel like I want to say chaos, but I don't want to disservice the word chaos. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty gnarly, uh, some of the things that go on. Um, we have a mostly lawful, not lawful, wow, not lawful, stupid. We have a mostly chaotic good party, you know, like the standard D&D party. And then we have one chaotic evil character. Uh, who is it's what it's what it says on the tin he is as chaotic evil as as you can get where there are some times where he'll just be like yeah i don't mind that's like whatever and there's other times where he's like threatening to kill a kid and you're like dude stop please (laughs) (laughs) oh it's bad um but i guess that's kind of where i want to start is how do you handle uh specifically for you rolando how do you handle these vast differences in players that you always see crop up in D&D games because everybody's like, oh, I could probably DM for a chaotic evil player until they have a chaotic evil player. Uh, real quick before uh, answering that question, just uh, so we kind of get a scope of... Uh, I've I've been DMing for uh, five, six years now. I've DMed multiple campaigns, uh, world-built about three different settings at this point. The, my most recent setting kind of encompasses all of them. Um, I've DMed from, for very uh, various different uh, like levels of players, uh, being it from very new who need to learn how to use the D20 and how it works and how do you do the math and all that, to uh, players who are min-maxing and um, playing towards a specific uh, circumstance, whether it be that being combat or in role play, uh, you know, I've, I've had a wide range of players play for me. Uh, again, anybody from I have two sentences for my backstory, and I sent you a, a dissertation for mine. So, um, just so you guys kind of get a, a a grip of uh, where I'm coming from. Um, the chaotic evil players is, is very interesting to me, and I find it op- more often than not, it's it can be very fun when it's done properly, but I alignment over the years, I've grown to like a lot less. And I understand, I understand, like, 
why it's there. It's like a guiding on decisions you would make, right? Or, or a way you would act. Um, but I, I've, I've grown to kind of learn that it seems to me a more accurate representation of what alignment is, is how other people view you, not how you act towards other people. Mm. So what you do to you is not inherently evil or chaotic or lawful. Um, but what other people view you as doing is those things, um, if that makes sense. So, like, obviously threatening a child at knife point is evil no matter who you ask, right? Even some bad guys would be like, all right, fam, that's a kid. What are you doing? All right, how fucked up is fucked up? That's fucked yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. um, but, like... The way other people view you is way more conducive to what alignment is than I believe it should be. Um, I don't even think... I'm trying to think in, in the current campaign I'm DMing. I don't even think we use alignment. Like, we, like it's on the sheet, right? And people pick things, but it fluctuates so often that odds are that what they have on their sheet from when they created the characters in the first place isn't actually there anymore. Um, but in terms of, like, dealing with that player, I think it's... Uh, kind of uh, teaching them that uh, like the motivations behind what the player is doing a lot of the times they don't normally understand what their play what the character actually wants because if you think about it right so like let's say you're you're an evil necromancer and you have some reason we won't even get into having how you get them to like meld in with the party well because that's its own that's its own beast. Um, but let's say they, they of worms. <laughs> yeah, let's say they found they they found whatever reason to uh, follow the party around um, for whatever selfish reason they can find or whatever selfless reason maybe like maybe it's a long lost friend is with them whatever. Um, but you're with the party for a reason and they go. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, so they're they're with the party and maybe. I totally lost my train of thought. Jesus Christ. Uh, I think you were talking about uh, how, you know, possibly like a, a necromancer, you know, a pretty typical chaotic evil build. Oh, um, right. You know, right, what, right, right. Where, how that would meld in, how that would, you know, flow and how that would be seen. So a somebody with an ultimate goal, let's say this necromancer wants to amass an infinite army and rule the world with his zombies, right? Let's say that that is his ultimate goal, like, at level 20, at the end of his life, that is what he wants. Or maybe lichdom, let's say. That happens a lot, lichdom. Mm -hmm. um, the, that character in and of itself, more often than not, logically, would feign good. All the way into the point where they could turn the corner and then show everybody who they actually are. And I think understanding that evil in and of itself is deception it's making people think what your reasons are 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 genuine and good and then turning around behind the scenes and um turning them in your favor without calling attention to yourself because if the entire time you're threatening children all the way down the road people are gonna know you're bad and eventually someone's gonna be like that guy's a psychopath he's gonna be a problem we're just gonna deal with him right now uh before you even get to your ultimate goal um i don't know if that answers the question but <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's about right. The most successful, you know, evil characters are the ones that look like, you know, the road is paved with good intentions or, 
however that the saying goes exactly. i mean what emperor palpatine is probably the best example of a full character who looked like he was just the most well-intentioned person he was oh no i want to protect the security of the people in the republic and and oh no look at that i actually wanted to start an empire all along and you guys just yeah. gave me all the power to do so 100 percent, 100 percent, and 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 i think that's usually the couple times because this it doesn't happen often and usually it's when they have a specific idea in mind or maybe an infatuation with an idea is when you sit down and kind of explain to them how things work because D D, uh for people who haven't played before can have a very like skyrim feel to a lot of people they're like used to like the skyrim thing where they could just do whatever they want and they're decidedly op and they just kind of like run around and nobody can tell them what or where you know um and like there is an amount of logic that goes into D D, like real life interactions and um how people would respond to certain things like actually makes sense like yeah so it's it's kind of hard to like yes you can do whatever you want or try (laughs) you can try to do whatever you want um but that does not mean it's without consequence yeah i think that's the big uh differentiating factor between D D and a lot of video game rpgs is video game rpgs can't account for every action you'll take so they usually don't you know like in skyrim we have you know the funny the funny meme of you know when you pick up a uh, like a bucket and put it on the shopkeeper's head and steal everything because mechanically in the game their sight line is impaired so they can't see you stealing if in D you were like yo i'm just gonna take a bucket and put it on this guy's head he would take it off his head and say what the hell are you doing get out of my shop and so yeah a lot of the you know those perceptions of oh it's like it's like a video game rpg but just you know with my friends at a table is really kind of you know misguided and i think you know yeah with you know rpgs and games being probably at least at this point more popular than tabletop rpgs which is where they you know more or less originated from Mm -hmm. um i think that uh, sort of skews that idea where they're like oh yeah it has rpg in the name so it probably plays just like a video game i can do what i want um but that the thing that makes D so different and you know so much better in a lot of ways is the dynamic world and the dynamic reactions um that the world can have on your actions you know they're like how it's pretty much impossible for us to make the video game with a million endings where you know everyone's like oh telltale games and you know life is strange type games they only have like three four different possible you know out differences Mm -hmm. even though you have like an option every you know minute or two um because yeah they they're on a budget they have to do animation for every different decision you make they have to you know do modeling and they have to Mm -hmm. uh get the voice lines and voice actors are expensive and then you know there's a bunch of other things they have to keep all these teams coordinated it turns into a big mess quickly but D &D, where it's a a kind of you know not guided tour but it's like a a guided experience with you know the dm presenting you this world and you you know living in it you get a cho- yeah, you get a choice to really impact and feel the impact of things that you've chosen to do 
long after they had happened because instead of being like a game where it's like, well, we didn't really program for that, the DM can be like, yeah, you guys, you know, when you freed this, I don't know, this artifact, you actually released this lich into the world. Good job. And like, oh, we didn't know that was going to happen. And yeah, well, should have thought about that. <laughs> so my, my there's favorite, a lot my, of... Um, go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, that's that was basically just uh, reiterating the point. There's a lot of a lot more outcomes that happen in uh, D&D. And yeah, when you push the world, the world will push back. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And then and it pushes back in, in ways that you wouldn't necessarily uh, expect, right? Like there's a um, a pod there's there's a and D podcast I can't remember what it is that I listened to a while back, but the entire premise of it is uh, decades after the heroes of this world essentially decades after the heroes of this world went off, and they saved the world and they're off doing adventure things on a different continent now. Um, they this new band of heroes goes to uh, visit these towns and I believe it's like they, they go to visit these towns essentially uh, and they find they come to find out that all the things that the heroes did to save people caused other things to cascade into chaos like for example the first town they meet up in there's there was a dragon they killed the dragon but what that party didn't know they killed the dragon and moved on right what that party didn't know is when they killed the dragon that dragon was holding off uh the orc tribes that were living in the nearby mountains and so now like the orcs were like coming down and wreaking havoc on the same town that the dragon was wreaking havoc on and like while they only had to pay the dragon like their money and their jewels and their shiny things these orcs are like taking no prisoners and they're they're like eating people and this and that and the other thing so it's like the aftermath of what you do even when it's a good thing there is still a consequence to that good thing so it was a very interesting um very interesting thing D and D is a really good place where you can explore the ha- quote unquote happily ever after, where there rarely ever is, and you know, like all thing, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. Um, you know, that's that example is kind of similar to uh, the world that I've been, you know, crafting. I've been pretty much keeping all my campaigns in one world, but more or less, you know, same premise. The original heroes save the world. If your first campaign isn't saving the world, what are you doing? um but the original (laughs) heroes they save the world everything's all good they win quote unquote they little do they know that you know because they've disrupted a natural cycle the world is supposed to end um if you are wondering where this whole idea came from go listen to partharnax from skyrim talk about the idea of kalpas um and so the world is supposed to end so the next world can begin but prolonging this world is now going to lead to some unnatural occurrences and you know the a group rises up out of this uh you know as almost retaliation against uh the people who saved the world because you guys just defied nature the world was supposed to end now look at all the issues we have to deal with because you stopped the world from reaching its natural end and they want to you know turn around and bring about the end of the world granted it's not for purely you know natural reasons they think there's a way they can you know preserve themselves through the end of the world bunch of crazy fun convoluted uh stuff but ultimately yeah it's that same idea where 
the heroes go, we won, quote unquote, because we did the good thing. And it's like, well, yeah, I guess you did. But here's what else is happening now because of your good thing. Hope you like it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's uh, a pretty good kind of uh, segue into like what what is in terms of like world building and, and your world specifically, we can get like a small overview. I know there's a lot in world building, mm. so it's hard to stay small, but a small over uh, a small <laughs> overview of like what you uh, and your world like what, what is it called? What is it? What is it about? All right. Yeah. So. um so the world that I uh, that I run that I've been crafting over two years is called Valune. Uh, it's kind of an adapted version of the Forgotten Realms, where I've just been slowly taking you know Forgotten Realm stuff, changing things, changing uh, landscape, you know stuff, changing uh, names, changing locations, and just slowly adapting it so I can you know kind of get it away from uh, five from you know five E's uh, worlds into making it its own place um but it's a extremely high magic world you know a lot of people talk about low magic worlds where magic is rare if you can um if you can find magic it's very regulated and uh you know the practitioners of it are shunned you know low magic worlds then mm -hmm. high magic worlds are where magic is just kind of like you know if you if you don't know what magic is you're looked at like you know somebody who doesn't know what the Beatles is for example like you know magic is everywhere magic is touching every aspect of life um and so yeah Val Valune is a little bit of kind of a fanboy project because um one of the big you know features of this place is that uh portals and rifts to every other universe you could think of have opened up across this place which has allowed for the magic, the technology, the people, everything to seep in. So, you know, worlds like Runeterra from League or uh, Skyrim, you know, MapleStory's world, all of it, you know, kind of meshing in. Whoa, didn't mean to punch my microphone. Um, <laughs> all of these things kind of flooding in through these rifts and these portals. Even our modern world is connected to it in some ways. Um and, you know, the technology, and while not many people in these worlds can even find these portals because they're very, very, you know, obscured, you know, kind of that idea of like the uh, the Feywild, you know, it's right there, mm -hmm. but it's super obscured. So you can't actually really mm -hmm. glimpse into it. Uh, but when you can, if you are, you know, magically attuned enough or you're just lucky or unlucky enough to, you know, stumble yourself into one of these portals, um you'll you know they'll find themselves into a, a whole nother world and um so it takes a whole bunch of lore and world building from a whole bunch of other different uh places and kind of makes it its own but pretty much the whole world initially uh for the first stretch of campaign was completely sectioned off it was its own self-contained world and then as the campaign went on and after the world was saved uh i just have called it the sundering uh, which I'm sure there's a million and one places that have called it <laughs> the Sundering. I want to come up with a way cooler so name than that. My catastrophic <laughs> event is literally called the, the Sundering. That's hilarious. My guy. <laughs> <laughs> Please. I'm so tired. That's so funny. <laughs> That's so, funny. Um, so after this, you know, this magical Sundering, a whole bunch of, you know, things started happening. So, um, 
children were starting to be born. It started happening a little before the end of the world because of all these different places that the heroes had to travel to. Uh, they had to go to these other worlds to, you know, uh, to be able to get the, their pieces of their MacGuffin to stop the end of the world. Big, long explanation. Not even going to get started going into. Um, but the uh, this world is, you know, super homebrewed uh, out the wazoo. Um, the original heroes are level 50, which as you might know about 5e, uh, the max level is 20. Um, most of them are gods or have usurped some kind of godhood. It's got a little crazy there at the end, but if you know me, you know that I love crazy. I love fantasy taken to the extreme. I love taking the mundane and turning it into the absurd. And uh, that was kind of the whole point of this. Like the... Um, the, for the final boss uh, battle, I decided that, you know what, instead of it being, you know, a really difficult thing, because they had a really difficult second to last boss, um, instead of doing another kind of long slog, uh, instead we are going to make it so that they, uh, so that they have a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just a kind of a great big, uh, you know, uh, hoorah sort of you know final fight and they did um s- uh 69 septen damage to defeat the uh the, the final boss i pretty much made it so where every attack they did didn't add damage it multiplied the damage done previously and they had two dirt turns to pump out as much damage as they possibly could do and then they ended up doing like 69 septen sexagintillion damage. Don't look up how many zeros that is. It's a lot of zeros. <laughs> it sounds um, like a lot of math. It, it was pretty much just every time they did it, just, you know, times, enter, times, enter, times, enter. Um, and so it was bombastic. It was fun. Um, it looked cool. And the end of the world was destroyed uh, by our gunslinger monk punching it in the face uh, so hard that it shattered. Uh, so yeah, uh, um, that was kind of how that whole thing played out. But uh, it's really been kind of an opportunity for me to explore kind of expanded lore of these these game worlds and other worlds that I love a, a whole bunch. Um, and uh, my wife has really enjoyed it because it's uh, been kind of a, it's been a really good mix of combat adventure, like I. I jokingly call it a romantic comedy sometimes uh, because, you know, there's a lot of uh, romance and character interactions and families. Um, And specifically, you know, the one thing that I, you know, really, really, you know, thank my wife for is she contributed the best, most interesting character to this world in Jonathan Lightstrider. Uh, He, he was her first character. She loves the, the idea of these really mundane names for heroes and it kind of has the same energy as the name like luke skywalker uh and i even made the joke right. i was like ah yes four letter name uh for four letter name a source of light and a form of movement luke, <laughs> john light strider luke skywalker that's funny. that's funny and so it um he was this really mundane like he was a carpenter who uh he was a carpenter and a farmer who only had a bow because his family had to fight boars off of the farm he didn't he wasn't you know trained in any special school 
he had no real major interest in um, adventuring. And after getting drawn into, you know, the adventure uh, by, you know, being being asked to, uh, you know, help with uh, a few things around a town, he got sucked into the adventure of a lifetime. And instead of being like, you know, going with the flow, she really played him to, you know, to a T where he resisted. He did not want to keep adventuring past a certain point. And there were, you know, times where he was just, he would just want to give up. He would be so defeated, uh, but he kept on picking up his bow and kept on going out there because he, you know, looked at the world and, you know, all the people he'd grown to meet and loved and, you know, he didn't want to be doing this, but he had to do this. And the idea of a hero that isn't, doesn't think they're a hero because I'm, I literally just want to own a farm. I'm not, I'm not doing this for anything <laughs> else. I just want to own, own a farm and I don't want it to get blown up in like five years. So I'm yeah, yeah, like, I'm just ever, a commoner. Yeah. Yeah. And so leave he never lost alone. touch with that. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, it's just, he's just like sitting there like, leave me alone. I just want to live. That was quite literally his thing. It was just like, leave me alone. I actually really liked, you know, how the thread went all the way through to the very, very end of the campaign. It was very symbolic. It was really funny, but also very symbolic. Where at the end of the campaign, right after that finishing punch had been dealt to the end of the world, and it was quiet and everybody was watching the shockwave ripple around, um, you know, the world from you know, watching one of these creatures called Observers. It's, once again, convoluted lore. Um, these, you know, extra extra dimensional creatures um that run the world being defeated uh and it went quiet and everybody was like waiting and getting ready to burst out into a cheer of you know triumph and success he looked at their wizard who she was kind of the um the coordinator of all of these extra dimensional all of these you know time traveling shenanigans and looked at her and took his bow and chucked it at her face, went into the house, slammed the door. <laughs> that was it. He was, he was done. <laughs> he was so fed up with all of the adventuring, with all of the pain, uh, with the just continual ramping of power of the things that they had to encounter. Um, where it was, yeah, he could handle a couple goblins and bandits. But when they were having to fight things that were trying to transcend and usurp godhood, it was, it got to be a bit much for him. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that was that's kind of a basic rundown of the world um and so yes in future campaigns i've been dialing it back a little bit because um one of the fun things about homebrew is you can do what basically whatever you want one of the hardest things about homebrew is that um you don't exactly always have control in the balance of anything you want yeah. um, the balance is incredibly so, difficult yeah, and so there were some fights that we, I got that really good, you know, skin of their teeth wins, and other times where they like to turn the boss, where the boss is like, oh yeah, I've got legendary actions, I got this, I got all kinds of stuff, and they're like, damn, that's crazy. Anyways, um, does a fifty-one <laughs> to hit? <laughs> so yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, what about you, Rolando? I'm actually kind of curious. Uh, so you said you worked on three worlds. Um, if you feel like you could, you know, discuss all three of them, that would be fantastic. But if you just want to discuss your favorite one or the one you're working on now, uh, that'd be cool yes. too. So, um, yeah. So the most recent one is actually an amalgamation of all three. Um, uh, so essentially, um, the first world I kind of particularly right at the beginning of uh, 
the time period that will not be named um, over the past couple of years. Um, <laughs> no, the over uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, right? We uh, started playing D and D online with friends and stuff. Um, and then that world was essentially. I, I've always had this weird infatuation. Um, I wouldn't. I don't know if it's weird, but I think it's weird. Uh, with like ancient Greek and Roman times, just uh, that sort of time period is very interesting to me. The the, the worship of various different gods and um, how that plays into everyday society and such. Like it's an interesting. It's just interesting to me uh, the the relationships that get formed and how gods are just buff humans essentially and they're still petty and they still interact and they're like oh you looked at me funny i'm gonna have to have sex with your wife like you know like um zeus we're looking at you uh <laughs> but um so the first world was essentially set in a uh ancient greek time uh kind of well greek roman because it's like like Colosseum type of uh type of type of space um, and the essential concept to that is there's, uh, the, the entire world itself was, uh, in one of the, um, if, uh, the, the, there was a point in time, uh, scientifically speaking, where, um, all the continents on the earth were like one giant landmass, right? Yeah, um, Pangea. Yeah, that, I couldn't remember that word. Pangea. And Pangea is what this world started looking like so you can like effectively walk to the entire other side of the quote-unquote world uh and you it was just this giant island um but it was ancient greek times but it was all connected um so it, it was this interesting amalgamation of cultures and essentially what um what the premise for that campaign was is this rather short-lived because uh, it was my first campaign and it's a little harder to kind of uh, get to like an overarching theme, um, but the party in in and of itself, um, consisting of uh, four, I believe it was four four players at that point. Um, the idea was they won a tournament. They won an amount of um, uh, just like a coliseum death battle thing. They won uh, an amount of like reputation, and they became known as like heroes, and people would call them to do certain things. Um, at a certain point in time, there's this. Uh, guild that that uh, popped up who's seemed or not guild uh, it will it presented itself as a guild it was really a cult um this mm. cult kind of it's only standing thing that they did is there was this black plague like oozing substance that would be coming out of people um turns out uh they were the cult that worshipped and was trying to summon jublex himself um jublex is a demon lord within the forgotten realms um and uh yeah so they they went through their adventure and it was it was relatively simple it was super simplified super um there's a cult you fight the cult they summon him anyway you fight the bad guy you kill the bad guy um so it it, it took us you know as D does it took took us a little bit longer um to get there but there was this uh, other the, the a counter to the to the cult was a, a guild um I can't remember uh, the name of the guild at this point, but that becomes relevant later. The second world um, that I made was a kind of offshoot of it. Um, it's a world that I use for one-shots a lot, and it's essentially um, about a thousand years into the future of the original world, where hmm. 
Um, Jublex has been killed. The original party members, I, I love immortalizing the players who, or the characters who um, help in the world building. So a lot of times I just kind of carry them over and their legacy. And, and it's cool to see, like, you don't always have the same players playing in every campaign. But it's always cool to see that look on their face when they go up to a monument and they're like, you describe their previous character and whatever deeds they did before they passed and or how they passed or what they did in order to get to this point in time and it's always cool to see that face just kind of light up in a very interesting <laughs> yeah like hey i did that um that's a decision i made or like having them see the look of horror on their face when they realize that like a decision they made forever ago still impacts the world to this day and it may not be a positive thing um but they still have bearing on the world. And it makes this very interesting dynamic where like they want to do things. And they want to do things in character. But they're curious about how it's going to impact things. And maybe in the next campaign or in the next coming years. So it's very interesting. But the second, sorry. The second world is um, set a little bit thereafter. And it was more a political intrigue kind of um, uh, situation. So it was uh, dealing with corruption and, and, and governments. Um, but still within the same world, but essentially the... Why don't you just say the same word twice? Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. Got him. Uh, Anyways. But but yeah, um, that's so funny. But yeah, essentially the second campaign is, uh, the overarching concept of that campaign, uh, again, that's very simple, um, um, but is, it was a, kind of like a, a grittier campaign where, it was about investigation and figuring out where the corruption was coming from within the forms of power that, that be. Um, and figuring out that the person at the beginning that comes off as being the bad guy is not the bad guy. And it's this weird... Uh, it, it turned into being so like the, the president, I guess, is the best way to describe this position. It's the, the president or, or king of, of, of the realm is very... It comes off as being very corrupt and doing weird things, and he comes off as crazy and loony, even. I guess that's the same thing, but whatever. Um, but <laughs> that world itself is... Um, excuse me while I itch my eyeball. Sorry. Um, but, while I itch my eyeball, specifically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he comes off as being like a... A, a bad person but turns out he's you know he, the entire time he's been very um like he's been heating off and doing certain favors for people in order to keep the peace for the common folk um, he's been choosing so the, the lesser of two evils more or less 100 yeah so to say. yeah okay. exactly exactly and like the party goes gets up to the point where they're positive it's him and they know that he's the one doing these things and, and they're right he's the one doing these things and they go over to confront him knife to throat he's he fought them back because if they figure it out then it might you know it, they might tell people and then the secret's out and then he's not in power anymore and then if he's not in power anymore who knows what's going to happen um so he he tries to fight them off he's down to one hp he's he's screaming uncle he's he's asking for mercy with a knife to his throat and everyone's like why would you do this and he goes into this really really long monologue and it's one of the only times that my players have actually allowed me to finish a monologue most of the time they just kill (laughs) instead of a surprise attack i I roll for a surprise attack (laughs) yeah exactly exactly 
That is the most frustrating thing ever. I, I but, have heard that before of like, oh, yes, cool villain monologue. And I shoot him in the head. My guy. He, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he goes on and he essentially explains where he's coming from and why he's doing what he's doing. And it's it's a very surreal moment when they realize like, yeah, this guys he's not a good guy, but he's not a bad guy. He's essentially protecting hundreds of thousands of innocent people under his rule, and they're faced with the decision of, of what we do. Like, Would I we... have been able to make this decision in his shoes, sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, 100%. He, he kind of, he chose his own fall from grace in order to, for, for the greater good, um, like you were saying. Um, and so that was a really interesting campaign. Um, we never actually did a wrap-up for that one. That one was Ooh. cool. Um, eventually at some point we we might um, but the most recent one is my favorite this is more where I took more of a page out of uh, Mr. Hardy's um, <laughs> Jared uh, of, of Jared's book and I kind of one took thing real media quick, from sorry. Yeah. one thing real quick uh, when you were talking yeah. about your last campaign with the king you know saying I was oh, lesser yeah. two evils there's two things that come to mind um, I think it was Fable 3 where the ending you realize the king has been kind of an ass and you're like oh my gosh we got to go kill this guy and when you get to his palace he goes all right fine fuck it you're in charge now and you're like wait why are you making me in charge he says by the way there's an evil all encroaching darkness that's on the horizon you've got about like a couple years to figure it out bye and you're like oh that's why he had high taxes and was like taking food from presidents because he was like it's either that or we lose to the darkness and now you have to make the same decisions (laughs) um and so that yeah. gave, gave me that kind of vibe or the um what you would call it the uh uh lissandra from league of legends um her whole backstory was recently rewritten at least i think it was recently and it's essentially the void wants to come in uh to through the frell yard and she was like while she wasn't necessarily good she's trying every excuse and everything she can in the book to be like, yeah, it'll be ready in a couple more minutes. Um, and she's just keeping them at bay, trying to do as little of their bidding as possible while still keeping them sated so they don't just be like, you know, screw it, we're going to invade. Uh, and so she's been kind of doing 100%. that that sort of balance of how do I stay not a horribly bad guy that everybody turns against me, but how do I also make sure that the void doesn't get upset with me? And so, yeah, choosing the lesser of two people. One hundred percent. It's 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 the whole concept of the ends justify the means, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm doing this because at the end of the day, if I succeed in what I am doing, it's going to be okay. Not because it's okay right now, but because when we're done and all is said and we talk about this when everything's over, it'll be fine. Um, mm-hmm. It's so also it's, got it's the this... same. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, it has the same energy as uh, Emperor Palpatine, who always... he's re- he's a really good villain, very well written. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, mm-hmm. kind of expanded mm-hmm. universe theories. If you've heard of the Yuzan Vong, um, they're this sort of like this intergalactic species that pretty much hops from galaxy to galaxy and just consumes all life. It kind of like the flood almost, give or take. Um, and they are just these warlike, destructive, horrific, um, and almost impossible to beat foes. And a lot of people suspected that the reason that Palpatine seemed like he was almost intentionally trying to make everybody hate him in the Empire is because he was doing everything he could 
to be ready to stop the Yuzon Vong invasion. Like, the reason that they built a second Death Star after the first one got destroyed was because they were like, we have to be able to destroy these uh, Yuzon Vong world ships, which were essentially, you know, ships almost the size of planets that were made of living organic material. It's crazy, you know, expanded universe stuff. Uh, but a lot of people uh, speculate that that was the goal of the Empire. Palpatine was terrified of the Yuzong Vong and wanted to have every, all hands on deck to be able to fight them back when they showed up. Because they always show up. They always find a way. They, I think, tried to invade the Star Wars galaxy once and they got repelled. But they were much smaller then. They've been a, been a couple thousand years and they, they're going to come back and they're going to be pretty pissed about it. So. Yeah. Sorry about that. I just yeah. that also no, no, came to good. my mind is you know, being bad to be it, good. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 uh yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's a very it like yeah, like you said, Palpatine is a very well written well written villain because there's times where you're like, Well, he did do these terrible things, but like why? You know what I mean? Like, when you get into the whys when it gets very interesting. Um but the the third campaign, I, I, like I said, I took a little bit of uh, a few pages out of uh, Jared's book, and I went into all the media that I love within high fantasy, within like any Magic the Gathering, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, fucking like uh, Harry Potter, Hunger Games, you know, like all this other like stuff. So essentially, this is I believe it's three thousand years from uh, if year zero, I believe I made year zero the uh the slaying of jublex from the original world when it was pangea um that point in time is year zero so two thousand three thousand years into the future something like that um is where this world is currently uh set in and it's essentially looks um it, there's three land masses um, there's a smaller one in the center um, that is kind of like encompassed and covered. You can't really see it uh, from the other two, but there's this giant maelstrom, like ever like ongoing. So think of like the eye, the the storm. Okay, Azeroth. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's 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 yes, it's essentially that, right? It's a, the World of Warcraft influence is, is definitely there. Um, that's hilarious. I actually didn't realize that that my map because I'm I drew my map. On Incarnate. By the way, check out Incarnate if you like making maps. Uh, oh yeah, I have, I have a map um, of value on Incarnate. But yeah, that you said that's that hilarious. Like, I didn't uh, even Azeroth. <laughs> I didn't even. I didn't even like because if you, I'll show you the map later. It actually kind of looks like it. It's fucking hilarious. Um, that's so funny. Sorry, I can't get over it. Uh, I unconsciously did the thing. Uh, anyways, um, so yeah, so essentially, and on each continent there is a a school. Uh, and what brought apart what brought apart this idea is uh, the, the Strixhaven book had come out, which is relatively recent. I believe it's like a, a year ago, maybe maybe less than that. Um, the Strixhaven setting uh, came out. The, I believe it's a module. That's from Magic, module. right? Strixhaven. Yeah, yeah, but the it okay. is an actual D and D setting as well. It got its own book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, I have the book on uh, D and D Beyond. Yeah, um, so that, that, uh, I looked at that and I, I, I loved, um, Hot Take, uh, apparently, because people don't like Strixhaven as a module because it, like, leaves a lot up to with the imagination, but I fucking, I love that. 
Um, I love that specifically because I saw it and I saw its potential. And I was like, dude, I could build things around this. And like, what possibly could have happened throughout the world that you would need such a large institution to teach people of magic? Like, oh, and what happens to the people who are not magically inclined? What happens to those people who are not, uh, who don't care or fear it or, let's say, live close enough even uh, to work in this situation? So essentially what I did, um, oh, sorry, real quick, another, another small sidebar. Um, the reason why I ran the cam- this, this third campaign and I'm running it the way I am is one of the things I've run into over the years is people switching characters a lot um, and mm. not feeling a like connection and, and not feeling necessarily comfortable enough to roleplay. And it's something that I've found hard to tackle. So this time around, I decided to try something that I've been mulling around for a couple of years. Um, and essentially, it's a series of one-shots. Uh so the main campaign itself starts, uh, it's going to start, we haven't even started the main campaign yet, that's the hilarious part, it's going to start at level 10. Uh, and essentially what the idea is, is there's two schools. One is Marshall School, that I named after the black magic practicing uh, from a school from Harry Potter, Durmstrang, and Strixhaven. Uh, which is obviously the magically inclined uh, school. And they're on two separate continents on the opposite side of the world from each other. Um, And there's these uh, almost like ley lines throughout the world that culminesce into these fountains of magic and and just pure, raw, arcane energy that just taint everything around them. You gave me horrible flashbacks of having to run the Nightborn Suramar quest line. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, yeah, oh yeah. no, oh no, <laughs> the like 15 hours I spent on that. <laughs> dude, those, dude, those class quests are hard. Um, they're, yeah, they're ridiculously overtuned. Um, but yeah, fact, so I've like. Done, I don't know if you knew that. I've done all the allied race quests because I just felt like it. I've, the I'm only weird. one, the, I haven't done the alliance one. I haven't done the alliance ones yet. Those are. Like, really? Because I don't have. Oh, you're right. I, I forgot. Have the achievements. I'm on. Mm, I'm on you're right. You're yeah. Kind of cringe. I don't know. I don't have any alliance. I I don't have any alliance. No pun intended. Any any specific way. They both they both have good points. Both both sides. Good people on both sides. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like burning the trees, kind of rough. But that I mean, burning we, could, we could totally little... have. <laughs> we could have we could have an entire episode on on this topic because I dude I will take you to school my guy. Um, wow, Lord, but... <laughs> I'm interested in I'm not I'm not I'm an elementary Wow, Lord nerd not not too advanced yet. There's so there's so much it's so expensive, um, but yeah. So getting a little bit back on, um, so essentially there's two there's two schools there's there's like ley lines that come into these different fountains of magic throughout both continents. And in the middle of the ocean as well. And these fountains of magic, like, they have positive things that they do. And there's negative things that they do. And there's two large fountains of magic um, on both continents. The biggest ones. There's, they're strewn throughout. Um, so the one that Drimstring is on is, is very, uh, it's very sediment based. It's like, um, it's forest and jungle. And the forest itself is imbued with the magic. So it changes constantly. And it's ever shifting. It's almost like... The labyrinths and myths that oh are like it it's different 
right now that I woke up than it was when I went to bed and now I don't know where I am and it feels like I moved but I didn't um, and it's this uh, there's it's creatures tricky. that it's it's a really cool it's it, it's really fun um, and there's like creatures that have different like there's like uh, depending on the time of day and the time of year there's there's certain types of uh, bears and like were bears and um, oh now it's like the summer and now the the bears itself look like they're dying and they're decomposing as they're walking around and, and trying to eat you. And so um, the magic itself is both negative and positive and has these ramifications. And Dermstring is essentially formed because of um, this need to protect people. Uh, and Dermstring was created on the largest fountain of magic. Uh, and so it's just like this large floating fortress of a castle that was built with the help of Strixhaven. Because Strixhaven was was established a few years prior uh well probably like a decade prior and it sits atop the biggest fountain of magic and because it's the biggest one usually a lot of stuff happens a lot of stuff gets corrupted and changed and, and they teach people basically how to defend themselves and defend those around them and then um as they graduate they learn different things and they go throughout the world and they basically um protect the world save the world and there's heroes that teach them and everything like that and um that's essentially the idea of of Durmstrang. but because of the fountain of magic and the fact that they fight it every day and, and for them it's never ending um they don't hate magic and magic users because there are some that do choose to go to Durmstrang um when they're magic users itself whether it's a I have to be physically capable of taking care of myself or whatever, or their class choices, whatever it may be. It's, um, it's almost a distrust of it because they've seen what raw uncontrolled magic can do. They distrust anyone who so loosely uses it with no regard for those around them. And then there's Strixhaven where it's like high school. Everyone's running around. They're casting spells at each other. They're like chasing each other down the, well, down the hallways and and the library. Everything in there is magical. There's like small little like mana wisps that, like if you tell them to get you a book, they'll fly up to like the third thirty three thousandth row of books and bring you down the book and they'll like throw it at you and. It's this whimsical, happy, super nonchalant, less militaristic than Durmstrang is. Um, school where they teach you things and, and and again there's another fountain of magic and they are also built on it but they have found a way um, to basically imbue the buildings uh in a way that it soaks up the fountain of magic itself um it, it soaks up the fountain and it makes the buildings themselves like resistant to certain magics which is uh useful when you have people practicing certain magics right if people like so like a Demasi and uh, petrocyte kind of deal yeah yeah it's essentially yeah it like it it makes it safer essentially because like you have like students like oh i just learned fireball i'm gonna throw it at this building the building's not gonna catch on fire because mm. it's imbued with this magic or so it, or like, like disperses it disperses magic that's cast in or around it yeah essentially yeah so it's like people can still get hurt within it obviously because it doesn't protect them but the buildings themselves and the structures are very safe um which makes it kind of like a fortress of solitude on the other continent but the other continent is completely different um it's settled there's cities there's actually a piltover 
like city where it's um the different like levels and you have like the under uh the underground levels where like the criminals and and uh the Zentarum, which is a D and D uh a group that I've kind of made into our like mafiosos essentially. Um there's this group um who live underground and they like go around they they just do like mafia things. They're they extort people and they do things for profit and whatnot. It's it's cool. Um but there's like a mini Vegas and there's um so on and so forth. So they <clears throat> so that's that's both schools essentially and so essentially how it works is there's one shots for both schools uh, i call them one shots but they're like multi-part adventures they start at level one and they play until they're level 10 um and it's relatively sped up and then once they're level 10 there is this inter inter school tournament that happens essentially so like the best people from the re each graduating class kind of fight in this uh, battle royale and they get put into teams randomly oh i wonder what's gonna happen the party's gonna get put together um and whoever <laughs> wins wins a happen. prize yeah they, they they the renown the so on and so forth so it's kind of like um i don't know if you've seen my hero academia i was gonna say it's, it's like mha because yeah. uh, that can inspire apparently a lot of D, &D worlds <laughs> yeah it's it's um uh, yeah, so it's, it's it's like a My Hero Academia kind of like Hunger Games kind of situation, uh, only obviously it's not to the death. And the idea is, um, like, once they win and everything, they'll earn their level 10, they'll get their prize, and then as they're celebrating, some things will happen. Because um, they haven't quite gotten there yet. They got through the Strixhaven portion, they're at, towards the at tail end of the um, Durmstrike portion, but they kind of end up taking a trip into the maelstrom itself and discovering that it's not just a endless storm that there may be more within it uh maybe even uh -oh. another world and so on um oh I don't know no if, oh yeah hate it when that happens um yeah but but essentially um in the uh how how i explained the um the the, the continents kind of splitting up was um that the, the sundering so was, i called it the sundering and it was like this magical explosion of sorts from a underground underground civilization that has now since disappeared from existence that t essentially teleported themselves uh, away for an unknown reason at this point. Um, and essentially created this gaping hole underground right below a fountain of magic uh, that was like on the ocean floor. So... Essentially, what happened is that fountain of magic, coupled with the magic from the teleportation, was like a recipe for disaster. An uncalculated mistake by this ancient civilization that caused this giant, erupting, never-ending storm um, to uh, kind of coalesce in, in between these continents. And that's the Great Sundering, because essentially what happened then is it just broke the Pangea up. It just shattered it and spread the, the continents throughout. So it's a little long-winded. Took a little longer than I than I had hoped, but that's essentially um, that's essentially like that world. That final one encompasses all of them and the history of them and their characters and such. Hmm. Yeah, I I really like that idea of connected worlds and like 
there it's always really hard for anybody to put down you know a world that they've built up and you know worked in and it's also really convenient for dms to uh, go with a world that they already have made and already know because you can you know make tweaks you can make edits uh to small portions small things and uh you can you know just have things uh change up and it's always nice because it's really hard to encompass an entire world in one campaign uh but if you want to explore you know the world as a whole it's it's usually going to take multiple campaigns like um the uh the campaign that i did um pretty much the it went from D's sword coast which is in this world now called the argent coast because i love the name argent it's just a cool word um and so the argent <laughs> coastline and then it went inland to this um custom continent called alanth uh called alanthir um alanthir takes a lot of inspiration from uh magic the gathering's uh color wheel where there's five mm-hmm. uh five different uh city states that all have you know what kind of correspond to the color identities um where you have uh frost mountain uh which their whole thing is the whole place is just snow it's, th- it's think the freljord think hoth think whatever snow world you are familiar with that is frost mountain times 10 um mm-hmm. and then there's uh Korash, which is in the Korashi desert um very you know egyptian inspired very sort of um uh you know very inspired by you know a lot of middle eastern uh you know identities and the whole i the whole uh of that city instead of being built you know upwards it's built downwards into a massive hole in in the ground where everything's are dug out into the walls and if they do want to build something that can't be dug into a wall they pretty much dig their own canyon because it gets so hot out in the desert that they couldn't you know possibly build above ground unless they want like the metal to melt (laughs) and so yeah it's just a ridiculously hot place um then there's blackmore which is uh kind of your basic um scumlord town where well not town city uh where it's tries to be you know as noble and prosperous as it can but it's rife with um thievery and uh just uh intrigue and assassination and you know it's pretty much the place that if you want to be a rogue you go here um and then there's uh del renis which is a uh just a lush massive forest where all of the all of the um buildings all the cities are built up between boardwalks through the trees and everything is built in flow and in harmony with nature instead of against it and they will they'll uh you know think kind of valen would uh from the elder scrolls um you know they the people will won't touch the trees uh you know for destruction they'll import wood uh, or they'll or they'll shape the wood instead of you know they'll never uh you know harm the tree they might reshape part of it to you know help them but it's not they're not going to defy nature um mm-hmm. and then uh there's between blackmore and del Renis, there is um there's bogar which is a uh place that's lost a lot of wars uh lately well in the past you know few decades millennia and they have such they had such a small portion of uh territory left on Alanthir. They pretty much just own like the southern shoreline. And so they said, screw it, we're gonna build underwater. 
And so these this collection of mages and academics, uh, they started building this like collection of tubes and all sorts of things, and they created this underwater utopia uh that can be accessed from the shore but it's also incredibly easy to defend because they got sick and tired of their neighbors teaming up and slapping them and so they built uh, most of this uh the underwater city called deep ma is uh, built entirely underwater and it's a place where mages and academics go to seclude themselves and get away from it all uh because they just they just don't want to deal with all the constant squabbling up above and then in the center is a place called Lord's Rest, where um, it was named after a great valiant uh, hero who died uh, in that, you know, to to found that town, you know, to, to fight off the hordes of evil, to give people a new life. And Lord's Rest is sort of the economic and political center of all of these city-states, and their whole thing is they're kind of the arbiters of interactions and trade. If um if there is a gate for every single city state to enter from so that nobody can ever bar off um access to arbitration for any ar- arguments or disagreements they all you know they all have to you know respect the rules of lord's rest within lord's rest for orders no matter you know where what city state they come from their whole thing is contracts and laws and this but you know, hearing all these descriptions, you can kind of hear Frost Mountain white, um, Korosh red, Blackmore black, uh, Bogar blue, and Delrenis green. They kind of have that, you know, sort of color wheel-esque um, I- identity with them. Uh, but, you know, they've they've really grown on both me and, uh, you know, the players, and they're just they've taken on their these identities and you know uh, i've had people in the really like making characters originating from certain places because you know there's kind of a a place for every play style you want to be a rogue maybe you originated in um in blackmore blackmore has one of the premier uh academies for uh spies and spy masters to train at uh called malin vols uh named after a famous dark elf assassin uh, who worked for as a royal spy master for years, you know, big, big lore stuff, but, um, and, you know, or, you know, you're a druid from Del Rennes and, you know, you just want to, you know, you love nature and you want to get out from, you know, your secluded forest though, to, you know, go out and see the world. Just, it kind of gives a lot of places for characters to start, you know, their, their character archetype, but, uh, going back to like the world. So, it started in the Argent Coast, went out to Atlantia, came back to the Argent Coast, then went to five different uh, established worlds. We went to our modern world. We went to Skyrim. We went to an alternate dimension of their current world. We then went to... Um... Don't you always love it when you forget your own things about your own campaign? Oh, yes. Uh, we actually went to... Uh... <laughs> uh we went to the uh so fun fact of the day um who, if you're familiar with Yu-Gi-Oh, um the the cards and like you know they all have established like a lot of cards have established lore and worlds built around them and um i'm gonna be perfectly honest i just want an excuse to make uh dingirsu the orcus uh i think it's dingirsu the orcus automaton or whatever into a boss fight because it looks like a D boss look it up if you um if you want to see a picture of it 
And uh, yeah, so I had this whole thing through the World Chalice uh, story arc for Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, and it actually was, you know, worked really well with D&D, partially because, you know, the World Chalice story was obviously inspired by, like, D&D parties and whatnot. Um, and so, and then the last one they went back to was uh, Maple Stories uh, World, where uh, and I actually kind of treated that as the first Kalpa ever because of how uh because of how insane the magic is and how that world is so you know packed to the brim with just ridiculous levels of power and uh just everything i was like yeah if if there was a place where i would if there was a game world where i would say magic is strongest it's probably here uh where everything could be considered a mage uh you know your your thieves are mages your bowmen are mages (laughs) everything is actually a mage if you squint your eyes hard enough um magic is bursting at the seams within that world for sure and so that was where we kind of had the biggest power spike i uh took a concept from maple story the arcane symbols which are these things you get in in game you get them in late game areas they give you a big boost to stats and so um dms out there you're probably going to be groaning with pain at this but uh everyone who got an arcane symbol they got a 50 uh plus 50 boost to any stat just it was either a plus 50 or plus 100 no it was a a plus 100 boost to any stat of their choice yes plus 100 and that would affect and and uncapped their modifiers so we had our i think our bone i think one of our bowmen i think yeah ayasha i think ended up with like a plus 20 something to her modifier for decks after, uh, after getting her arcane symbol, our thief had like also had a, a like a plus something for dex. Our um, our uh, wizard she ended up with like a plus uh, like a plus four, thirty or something thirty forty something modifier for her intelligence. Like ridiculous stuff. And so you know, like I like that though that uncapping the over the top like just infinitely more powerful than you should be uh, in you know, in the context of a world. And, uh, but I kind of figured, I was like, well, if they're going to be going to this world where the magic is highest, how are they going to keep up? Because they're just going to die. <laughs> they're just going to get, they're going to get the ass beat. Um, and so I was like, I'm ah, probably the arcane symbols. And so that was when we started going from having enemies with thousands of health to uh, tens to even hundreds of thousands of health because people were hitting in the thousands and tens of thousands of damage at that point. It was really fun. <laughs> so yeah, um, that was just, that's kind of, you know, how the thing went, but that was like, but this can't be all there is to Valune, you know, just two, uh, two different continents and then some portals elsewhere. And so then I uh, created Terracell, which is a more or less, you know, the elven one, as every fantasy world has, quote unquote, the elven one. Um, and then there's a large uh, continent to the south that's so mysterious, even the DM doesn't know what it's called because he can't think of a name. Um, and it's a kind of uninhabited, uncivilized, nobody knows what's down there. And most ships that set sail for it don't return. So most people are like, you know what, let's leave well enough alone and they just ignore it and so i'm eventually gonna have something cool come out of there and then in the uh the northwestern kind of hemisphere there is a um there's a continent called astraya that was a you know pretty standard medieval fantasy kingdom um 
and it's I was like, you know what, this place is going to be the uh, the progenitor, well not the progenitor, but the uh, the home and the headquarters of the organization that rose out of uh, the end of the world that you know the ones that believe that the world should have been destroyed. This organization called Dark Phoenix. Um, the, the idea of the phoenix rising from the ashes, uh, their, you know, dark phoenix is essentially, you know, why did the phoenix rise from the ashes? Why didn't we smother the ashes? <laughs> uh, and so they are, um, and they you know, were looking for a place that was out of the way enough that they could grow, you know, un, you know uncontested by these extremely powerful heroes. Uh, that are, you know, because if they found out about them, they'd just waltz in there and be like, all right, everybody, everybody out, everybody's done. We're not doing this anymore. Um, and so they uh, use their influence and their knowledge of these other worlds opening to uh, influence uh, the Astraea and just ask for, you know, slight bits of power and say in their governance and whatnot for these vast gifts of wealth and, um, all kinds of you know riches and goods from other worlds and they'd introduce beautiful technology and the all you know all these crazy things that they've really just yoinked from other places uh but they're you know selling it as oh this is the power we could offer your kingdom and more sooner or later as always happens when somebody offers to do a nice thing for you um if you're in a fantasy game um dark phoenix said you know what we're in charge now and the king was like you can't do that and he's like nope we're in charge now viking and so he got ousted and uh they took over the entire continent and they pretty much just use their uh use that place as their headquarters that is where their big central focus is that's where they have most of their outposts their facilities um they as i mentioned earlier uh part of this high magic world is that kids are being born with these traits uh essentially think uh, my hero academia once again great for world building uh, think essentially think quirks um, but they're born with these magical abilities that can uh, range from relatively mundane to insanely overpowered and um, their dark phoenix is looking to more or less make you know soldiers out of all these kids that they're taking in um, and so pretty much if they get any any whiff of a kid being born with a, any kind of uh, power or ability they'll go and they'll find them they'll take them away they'll test them and if they you know if the kid's you know really young and won't remember anything they'll return them to the family if the kid is old enough to remember what happened then they will you know keep the kids for labor or whatever they want to do because dark phoenix are kind of assholes um and so it's um made for you know this a pretty re relatively compelling villain at least for everybody i introduced it to because apparently uh kidnapping kids and you know child soldiers are not cool with a lot of people so that's good uh, so yeah they're they're down to fight them at any any opportunity they can get um and they're this organization you know in my mind they've just kind of expanded and been you know constantly growing and growing and what their you know what their end goal is and um spoiler alert if you ever play in any one of my D, &D campaigns i was like what's something cool that they could be doing that would both require their numbers and their tech their technological access as well as like their magical access uh to be able to pull off and i was like what about a dyson sphere so if you're unfamiliar do you know what a dyson sphere is rolando 
Uh, it does not ring a bell. So Dyson Spheres are kind of a sci-fi concept, but it's essentially this idea of building a power plant or a facility around a star and harnessing the power of that star as energy for whatever you want this facility to do. And they want to erase the world. What better thing than to harness the entire power of a star? <laughs> and so that's kind of their their end goal, um, which is going to be you know a big thing because this is still high fantasy. Most people are running around. If they're not running around with spells, they're running around with bows and swords. Um, how are we going to yeah. fight, you know, space wizards? What is this? Uh, and <laughs> so it's it kind of creates this power dynamic because I was like, where do you go from heroes that have already, you know, saved the world from destruction? I was like, what about, or what about, where do you go from, you know, the stakes? How do you raise the stakes here? I was like, well, what about people trying, people achieving the same thing? But they have way more numbers. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, been this, the whole basis of you know this next leg of the campaign um and this whole thing is being uh spearheaded by the kids of the heroes that save the world because it's been about 15 20 years so most of these kids are you know late teens early 20s um and uh they had a lot and i mean a lot <laughs> and so across the party and they ended up um you know and so they ended up you know really quick early on realizing uh, that Dark Phoenix had created a uh, technology uh, called Light Killers, which are these uh, bullets that can essentially, you know, corrupt the body, the soul, and the spirit, and you know, turn good people, you know, horrifically bad, and turn uh, bad people worse, I guess. But um, the the Light Killers make for a uh, a really good balancing thing for me as a DM because we know that there's heroes out there in the world that could very likely just storm their way into dark Phoenix's facilities, kick in the door and, you know, mow everything down from the daisies on upwards. Um, but because of these light killers, if one of them gets corrupted, it, it's going to take a lot of people to take them down. Uh, because, you know, if they're fighting with no restraint and no mental inhibition, with nothing but just the skills that they have yeah it's going to be a problem a level 50 having running around and you know if they if they're there's no other level 50s nearby well good luck <laughs> hope you, you hope you didn't want that's, to keep that little town anyways <laughs> that's a that's a super interesting concept i love i love the idea of um having heroes still exist within your world and that, that's that's something that still exists within my world there's some characters like there's a good friend of mine out here his name's cody his very first D&D character ever, which was in a different campaign that I was a player in, uh, his name was Coop. Uh, lo and behold, Coop, Cooper is his last name. <laughs> but the guy's <laughs> name was Coop. And he's like just this dwarf pugilist fighter monk thing that just ran around, didn't care about anything, just wanted to kick somebody's ass. That was like, it's his entire personality. But he is alive in this world. And he's a teacher at Durmstrang. And so he's like this epic... Uh, level hero he's well he's only level 20 because like you said it's hard to balance anything above that so he's, oh, I, he's, I have he's level... no qualms about that <laughs> yeah so he's he's level 20 but he's there's been one time where it was it was scripted to happen as such there's essentially like when they were trying to arrive at Durmstrang, like they're getting overwhelmed by what essentially was endless numbers of corrupted like wolves 
uh, from the oh, forest, gosh. and they were trying to get trying to get into into Durmstrang, and he comes kind of, he kind of comes down, and um, and he essentially holds them all off long enough uh, to the point where they're like get back up to the school, and then he like leaves. But it's it's this really cool concept of having those characters exist there. Um, and like having them see that, like it's so it's it's so sick, it to, mm-hmm. to see that that like callback and and especially when you like role play what their character would do properly. Um, I don't know, it, it's a cool concept, but but I also it also it's hard, right? Because then, um, you go into that same like what's stopping them from saving everything? What's what's stopping them from? Oh, there's this guy who's trying to take over the world. Why aren't they doing anything about it? Why don't we just go get him? Um, and so, like, you uh, wind up having to do certain things. Like, the, there's only a few uh, of the teachers who are, like, epic level. Most of them are, like, intellectuals. Uh, mm-hmm. There's Coop, and then there's uh, my favorite character I've ever made. My favorite NPC ever. His name's Boz. He's, <laughs> he's, he's the Dean of Strixhaven. He's a Luxodon Barbarian. Uh, and he's the dean of the magic school. Bro, and he's the leader Luxodons. of what is called the Red Dawn. I love Luxodons. They're so cool. Um, but he's the dean of the magic school as a barbarian. And he has, like, essentially what would be, like, tattoos from Tasha's. But they're, like, on his tusks. So they look like they're engraved into his tusks. Um, and he... They're, it's an, they're items, essentially. They're, like, item uses. And that's where he gets his, like, magic from. Um, but he's like the leader of what's called the Red Dawn. Um, the Red Dawn, he's the only survivor, him and Coop are the only surviving members of the Red Dawn. Um, because it was like this catastrophic, basically, um, there's this, uh, event, uh, the, the, the fountains of magic were pouring out these, uh, opened the portal to like the abyssal plane and hordes and hordes of demons were just pouring out of it. And the entire world basically had to come together in order to fight them, uh, fight them off at this portal, and they were running out of people. And essentially, what happened is, uh, Boz and the Red Dawn were the ones making the last stand, and um, the leader of the Red Dawn at that point was uh, her name was Tasha, not not Tasha Tasha, but like her name is just Tasha. Mm-hmm. Why does every fantasy um, world have to have a Tasha? We have a Tasha as well, Queen of Blackmore. <laughs> it's a cool name. It's a cool name, man. I don't know. It's short, it's simple, it demands authority, it's weird. Um, but yeah, so like, she essentially, she like, looks at Boz and she's like, go get reinforcements, we're not gonna last very long here, we can last as long as it'll take you to get back, cause he's the fastest, you know, the looks at him barbarian, mm-hmm. go fucking figure. Um, so he takes off and he goes, reluctantly of course, because the leader told him to go do it, so he's gonna go get reinforcements. And he comes back, finds the portal closed, and... Her weapon, her weapon, and then the weapons of three other, uh, the three other, like, lieutenants, essentially, of the Red Dawn, and the portal's closed, and they're there. And essentially what had happened is, she, at that point in time, was a Grave Cleric. Grave Clerics hate, hate the undead, right? So keep that in mind. So, she realizes they're gonna fail before he's able to get back, with help. So she's like, all right, cool. Everybody step into the portal. And everyone's like, all right, cool. Yes, ma'am. So they all step into the portal. And she stands there and the portal is 
slowly starting to close. Uh, well, she divine interventioned essentially to have the portal uh, close, uh, start start to close. But it's not something that happens instantaneously, obviously, because suspense. And as it's closing, she looks at everybody and she says, um, uh, "We're the last stand. We have to be here until this portal closes, whether we die or not." Um, and she kind of says it in a way where everybody has high enough insight where they understand uh, what's going to happen. We're fucking dead. <laughs> um, but still, they stand there and they have this epic battle. I actually have it all scripted. Maybe at some point I'll read it off. Um, they have this epic battle and they fight back the demons and such. And but and as everybody's dying and she's the last one, she makes that decision essentially to sever her ties to her ideals to save the world one last time um and she starts casting reanimating reanimation spells and making zombie versions of her friends and endlessly bringing them back up in order to hold back these endless hordes of demons and and and, and terrible things and the last thing she tries to do is send a message to her then husband uh who is uh through the portal right and the spell doesn't take. So, like, her magic... She was a cleric. Her magic was, like, taken away because of this thing that she did. Um, so, like, it was, like, the ultimate sacrifice kind of situation. And, like, that, that that's how I dealt with having heroes in the world that could have done a thing, essentially. Like, it, it's like this... I failed... Boz's whole thing and, and Coop's whole thing is, like, I failed last time maybe I shouldn't get involved. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like that kind of like a apprehension, Regret, PTSD guilt. type yeah. of... Yeah. yeah. And it, it's a really interesting angle. Yeah. It, it, I do like, uh, you know, there's a, this weird you know trend that I, for some reason, love as a DM and, you know, my wife really likes is the idea of exploring, you know, the real mental health implications of things that would happen while adventuring and how people would respond to events while adventuring there's you know uh kind of that idea of um you know the game darkest dungeon where it was you know revolutionary Mm -hmm. because you don't you're not just a bunch of gruff brave heroes who um you know march into the uh you know march into the dungeon get their loot have a good time and leave you know, fighting off hordes of terrifying monsters and almost pitch blackness is gonna weigh on your mind, and uh, it's gonna it's gonna start to fuck with your head. Uh, and so, uh, it, I really enjoy that sort of you know exploring you know that character psyches and how uh, characters would you know would really react. Just because you're powerful doesn't mean you're immune to you know your the effects that you know the seeing and experiencing horrible things can have on you and so um i really liked that about you know chris's character john is that you know as she played him as he was mentally deteriorating throughout the campaign because he was just more and more pain and suffering and he just he didn't know you know when this was gonna end because it felt like there was so much they had to do to save the world and he was starting to ask you know is it even worth saving the world at this point like and you know it's that's a that's a pretty bad place to get to is should i should we really even bother like it's it's too exhausting 
not going to want to live <laughs> even if the world continues to exist. So just, I don't know, I, I do like that idea, though, of, you know, using a character's past trauma and their past experiences as a inhibitor uh, that just because they can, you know, go wild doesn't mean that they're going to. And, uh, yeah, they, I think that you know for the most part because there were so many different you know heroes spread across this world it was uh, that would have been kind of a hard uh thing you know to apply to all of them um john specifically john light strider his whole thing was that he uh took up the mantle of rao which in D D is the god of peace because ever since the beginning of the campaign uh he was the the pacifist non-violent uh, type who really just wanted to search for peaceful resolutions uh, to anything, anyone who was willing to take it. Uh, uh, Carissa, her wife, she took a, uh, she took the chef perk, uh, the chef feet, and just did everything she could to, you know, make him an excellent cook. Uh, it looked into like what stats it would take, what roles would take. I was like, you know what? John is a great cook. I will 100% give you that. Didn't think it was going to be useful. And uh, there were more than, there was a non-zero amount of fights that were circumvented by John's cooking. And so it became a half meme, half, you know, character trait of John that he's an exceptional cook and he's just so good at it. And uh, it, I don't know, just made for a really fun sort of like, addition a more interesting part of to a, a character like yo you can shoot a bow good okay well every adventure can do that but the cooking that's that's the real mm -hmm. good stuff uh, um right. but yeah i do i do like that idea of you have to sometimes inhibit if you want to have those recurring characters you have to find a way to inhibit their presence in the story and so you know like i said the these corrupting bullets um is it going to be harder to stop one of these you know level one kids if they get hit by a light killer or a level 50 barbarian with 4,000 health like who's going to be more of a problem <laughs> um we've uh you know like there's a lot of the characters would have you know their their one hard counter uh that level 50 barbarian his wife who he like basically simps for uh, is like the one and only thing that could possibly snap him out of it uh, but yeah, it's just, it still makes for a really good, like, sometimes, you know, I will, you know, allow uh, these old heroes, these old characters to uh, come out of re not retirement. They're not necessarily super old, uh, especially with, you know, godhood preserving age and whatnot. But um, they will, you know, uh, hop on out and let the world know that they're, you know, they're not gone and they're not going anywhere and that they can still kick ass uh, where, you know, there's a bunch of people you know threatening their kids or some dark phoenix agents think that they can get away with a quick kidnapping and then uh you know an arrow strikes one of them and then another one and then they start finding themselves just blanketed in arrows <laughs> as uh you know they're you know pinned down from all sides by one person somehow <laughs> so that that sort of idea but for the most part you know they're they're being cautious with that idea of if we get hit it's going to, you know, for every one of us that gets hit, it's going to take four of us to take us down. So if we get in, if there was like 12 heroes, by the time that four of us have been hit by uh, those bullets, it's game over for the world. So that's not good. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So this is a lot of stuff, a lot of concepts. Um, 
we could probably talk about this for a couple hours <laughs> if not longer oh, definitely um talk about this all day yeah we'll we'll probably have a few episodes that come back to this um but you know really just to wrap things up um there's a lot that goes into this world building and you know how we dm certain things and it's just it, uh it's really interesting you know especially hearing your perspectives hearing your, the worlds that you've made like it's it's really uh enlightening to kind of hear how other people do it because a lot of times you know i i'm sure everyone here has listened to D D horror stories um mm-hmm. and heard of those things of a dm that railroads their world or railroads the group or you know it forces this or they introduce super op dmpcs um if you are not familiar with the term dmpc it's a dungeon master player character where they essentially want to be playing the game while also dming for it and they usually you know show up in the form of this massively overpowered you know level 20 multi-class uh min max uh best gear best in slot gear like uh sort of character who uh and then all the all the parties supposed to you know gather around and you know admire how cool your character is instead of you know make the story about the party um and so uh i i really like you know this this kind of idea of you know legacies and how the character a lot of D's world building is you set is you setting up the setting and making the world and the planet and you know the continents but really a lot of the world building and like the how the societies and the people interact comes from the characters who have interacted with that world previously um and i liked your your strixhaven example of how a lot of D modules are not just strict this is how you play this exact module here is who mm-hmm. shows up at this exact time you have to use this to do this exact thing um it's they can be back these modules can be as little as like backdrops where if you need to know something about a specific city you want to visit, sure, go for it. Uh, one of my, you know, follow-up, I call them like mini one-shots because they weren't necessarily, you know, one session one-shots, but they were much quicker paced uh, than, you know, full campaigns. Um, Carissa was playing as one of the first people to have a kid abducted by uh, Dark Phoenix. And uh, she was a single, young single mother uh, who was desperately fighting with every fiber of her being to uh to get her kid back and she ended up getting her kid back and she was also a fervent uh follower of bahal which was made for some very funny interactions because bahal is a um a short little assassin girl uh even though everybody expects bahal to be this big murder murder demon god uh, uh it's just this little tiny assassin girl who is the embodiment of murder um and so she was you know blessed by bahal to be able to uh you know uh, to be able to pretty much finish out our mission and we used the um a little bit of the water deep uh dragon heist uh, module and then transitioned it into the um transitioned it into the what's it called the icewind dale i think the the cold ten towns place uh, mm-hmm. that module and that was where the uh, facility that her kid was being held was uh was in this icewind dale uh was up in the icewind dale right outside of 10 towns they had they built the facility into the mountain because who's gonna venture out into the freezing cold to go look for you know 
kidnapped kids nobody and so uh it was you know the, the perfect place it was a great setting um and you know that was that we used the module but it just as a backdrop just to get an idea of the place but not to follow the story the everything given to you in D D from the official modules like hot take everything you see from the dungeon master's guide to the player's handbook to every adventure and adventure module is a guidebook it is a it's called the dungeon master's guide not the dungeon master's law uh everything is made to enhance what you want to do or what your mind is there's no shame in you know ripping off other ideas from other franchises media whatever there's no nothing wrong with homebrewing there's nothing wrong with playing D in a way that's fun for you and your players because that's ultimately the you know the the yeah, uh, audience the yeah that's the goal is fun the, goal, have... the goal is to have fun yeah yeah, if the if the audience is if you know the players are miserable or the DM is miserable but the players are having fun or some fun and you know usually if the DM's miserable the players aren't having fun I can uh, I can vouch for this now um, and you, if if so either group is miserable nobody will end up having fun the DM will feel like their world's falling flat the players will feel like the DM doesn't want them to do anything cool um, but if you take these settings and just morph them in a way uh to suit your table and suit the people that you're playing for as well as yourself um it will ultimately lead to a infinitely more uh fun experience and yeah that's really all i have to say about that is uh don't don't be a rules lawyer about the D D books yeah um no that's basically that's that's it like we come from two totally different like schools of thought in D and most of the time like when it comes to like online discussion about these these two differing styles because you're you're very the literally do whatever you want and you know, go up to level 50 do this do that do the other thing homebrew everything out the wazoo um and i don't i don't see a problem with that and i don't understand why there's an issue well i mean i do understand why that people have an issue with it um it, uh, i i understand where people are coming from it's like it, some people things do get not broken have fun, quickly it, yeah. well it, some people don't have fun when you can do whatever you want right it, it, there's a point mm. where it becomes monotonous but if your group is having fun then it's fine that's the biggest thing it's like i definitely prefer being a little bit closer to the heart of dnd i don't play dnd like vanilla definitely don't Anytime any player wants to use a specific weapon, do this, do that, do the other thing, or has a concept they want to live about. Like, I've made probably 12 feats for this most recent world. I've made magic items. I've uh, designed tattoo ideas that have that are function as magic items. I've... I homebrew my fair share, but definitely not as much as you do. And, like, it just comes down to what people enjoy. And, like... If whatever it is that you're asking for is gonna have have you have more fun, like why wouldn't I? Like I I could literally literally you can't do whatever you want. I can tell you no whenever I feel like it, but I could do whatever I want. Therefore, if I give you this thing, I could do, have a thing or a person or something or a concept that challenges that thing and makes you earn that thing and makes it so like not necessarily takes it away from you because that's not fun either, right? Why would I give it to you if I'm just gonna take it away? But like 
something to contend with something to make you feel like uh, okay so like i earned this thing i earned this ability to do this thing i i trained for it or i made a deal with somebody and i smarted them so this is what i ended up with like so on and so forth so like there's i could literally write in whatever i want so i don't see the problem in in trying to follow things to a t um yeah i yeah i mean yeah sorry i uh one of the things you know that Rolando actually told me a few months ago, uh, yes, you Rolando, um, that's also really influenced my world is I still was kind of constrained on some things. I was like, well, there's going to be some laws and this and that. And Rolando said the most impactful thing uh, that I've ever heard that really kind of you know cemented my view on this over the top bombastic D and D style that I have, and that is the wish spell exists. So even in uh, in vanilla D and D, there's the wish spell, which is essentially if you think it and the DM approves of it, it can happen. And I kind of was like, you know what? You're right because the whole thing, if I remember correctly, was my wife. Uh, she was playing as uh, a character that was in a lesbian relationship, and they really wanted to have a baby. And she was like, well, what if they just wish spelled it? And I was like, I don't know if that would. She was like, the wish spell exists. I was like shoot you're right <laughs> and so yeah. i was like yeah would, would it be physically possible no the wish spell exists though <laughs> so congr- thank you rolando uh you made chris's day and uh you made the campaign ultimately more enjoyable for both of us <laughs> so hey man it, 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 it's one of those things where it, it's almost relieving once you get past that point where you're like well this doesn't make sense and once you once you like kind of get over it and or even like make a reason for it to make sense in your world like it's not even like necessarily getting over the concept it's like well in my world it works because of a b and c it's almost like liberating uh you know you don't you don't spend so much time worrying about logistically even in world building you're not like oh well like orcs are evil so like this person wants to play an orc and so people are gonna hate them and that that's such a closed-minded way to think you know what i mean like and it puts you in this weird bottleneck where somehow this character who has not met the party yet has to redeem themselves to the party and like mm-hmm. that's not fair to them they haven't done anything wrong right so like it's this whole yeah from like a world building yeah. standpoint being able to liberate yourself not only doesn't just liberate yourself it liberates your world and makes it more it, it, it more friendly to explore and also it liberates your players in order to make certain mm-hmm. des- it makes you dynamic yeah yeah it makes it dynamic it makes it so that there's no there's nothing you can expect anymore and that's actually i think a really good way to like you know like i said it in a video i recently made i'm definitely going to plug my youtube channel here at the end um but a video i made about maple story is that the world building and the setting is so just weird there's so much weirdness in it that once you get to that certain point of weirdness any extra weirdness is just like yeah the, the setting is weird so weirdness belongs in the setting <laughs> and yeah. I, I really like that idea of taking something if, if it's just so out there to start with then adding more out there is just you know what's a uh, you know uh, what's one extra mile to a hundred miles versus one extra mile to an inch uh, and so right. um, it was a quote I forgot where I heard this quote and I really hate that i forgot where i saw it but it was something along the lines of i maybe it was in a video about world building or something but it was when you're when uh your creator is creating a world or anything they uh the audience will afford them 
one large leap in credibility and then expect perfect consistency from there on out. And so, like, Star Wars says space wizards that fly that fly spaceships all across the place to fight robots. Okay, that, that makes sense. And also, maybe, uh, maybe Greedo tried to shoot Han before Han tried to shoot Greedo. What did you do? You've ruined Star Wars! <laughs> so, it's that idea of, we're like, yeah, we'll accept anything you tell us initially. But past that initial thing you've told us, <clears throat> we expect it to be consistent. We expect it everything else that could happen after what you initially told us is it has to make sense <laughs> in what you've initially told 100%. us and so 100%. that's where that whole idea of like when you know chris was just like oh i really want this couple to have a baby and i was like the world's you know once i heard the wish spell exists it's like the world's weird enough we have level 50s that went to the maple story universe to fight the black mage and then fight one of the observers that's like a god of time that exists outside of their dimension by punching it in the face and doing a septon sexagontillion damage to kill it but a lesbian couple couldn't have a baby really is that is that the stretch too far <laughs> so that was that was kind of the thing that got me to like i'm you know i'm fucking i'm proud that you made that i i'm i'm proud of you because it's like even if that like even if you like ignore the wish spell it's like well like some of them are gods right so they can like Mm -hmm. do things like you just be like oh okay yeah here's a baby like you know what i mean just materialize a baby out of fucking nowhere like it yeah you could have just talked to a god of life and he would be like, yeah, sure, I'll put a baby in one. He wants it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, like it's not... He wants to carry it. Yeah, he wants to carry it. It's, it's not that hard. And like, uh, you know, and so I think that that's kind of the, the ultimate goal is that, that liberation. I like that word of your world and your perspective as a DM to be able to accept what is making, what makes your players happy because ultimately, you know, nine times out of ten, if your players are happy, you as a DM will probably end up having more fun and be excited to DM for sessions instead of everybody knows a DM dread when you're like, oh no, I have to DM a session tomorrow. Uh, and you realize I have to do this and we have to do this and I'm going to have to deal. Ooh, ow, did you just like fall out of your chair? It's fine. I'm alive. Oh, okay. That's fair. Um, so <laughs> yeah, you you just feel uh you know you you can when you can feel your player's energy is that of excitement and investment into your world it will pay off so much better than being like well i followed the rules and it all makes sense but now no one's having fun 100 <laughs> and so 100%. um yeah so that's really everything i have to say on the topic is there anything you want to say to wrap us up or um, I think uh, I think that's it. Like you said, we'll probably revisit this topic. There's there's a lot there's a lot to unpack here, um, within our, yeah. our our own worlds and how we do things and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. But but yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. that's about where we should leave it off for sure. All right. Well, um, in that case, thank you very much, Rolando. Uh, We'll probably try to do these uh, weekly, maybe bi-weekly. Uh, it'll really depend. We'll see how our schedules look and you know how uh, reception is going with this first one. But um, 
uh yeah so until next time uh outro thank you for listening if you're interested in hearing more from us you can follow us on twitter and youtube at punkling podcast if you're already listening on youtube please like and subscribe and let us know what other topics you want to hear about from us Thank you all so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you come back next time.